You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So they say that the average U.S. salary is about $50,000. And so we were talking as a creative team, if, if you were to purchase something for, to give away that was worth $50,000, what would that be? But, but more specifically, we would need it to be something that once you use it, it's gone, right? What, what could you possibly give that would spontaneously be gone after $50,000? And so I was doing some research and I found, found two things that stood out. Because uh, they're near and dear to my heart because they're food. All right, there is an ice cream sundae. It's the frozen hote chocolate sundae in a fancy restaurant in New York City. And this, this sundae goes for $25,000. All right, this sundae is uh, it's a culmination, it's a frozen chocolate. It says the frozen chocolate component of the dish is a blend of 28 different cocos, 14 of which are some of the rarest, most expensive types in the world. The goblet it comes in is lined with edible gold, and the whipped cream on top is dotted with some of the world's most expensive chocolate, chocolate fr- uh, truffles. You also get a golden spoon that you get to take with you worth $15,000. So this Sunday is worth $25,000, which like I said, that's not, not the um, average household income, but if I was to go on a date, I'm not going to share something like that. So Sarah and I are both going to have our own. And so th- we could go and have these Sundays at this fancy New York uh, restaurant. Or I came across this crazy thing. At the time of when we had our meeting, uh, this was on eBay, and it was going for about $50,000. And believe it or not, it's a McChicken McNugget. All right, it's a chicken McNugget. It is, uh, there are four shapes of McNuggets, which I did not know, but now I'll give you a little insight into the world of fast food. There's the bell, the bone, the ball, and the boot. And these are the four shapes of a chicken nugget, except for this one somehow managed to make it through the system, get past all the inspection, make it to a McDonald's, into the deep fryer, and into someone's uh, nugget section who saw it and said, this looks just like the main character from a, a video game called Among Us. It's this weird uh, shape. It's like a triangle shape with two legs. And it's this main character from the video game. You might know it. I don't know that game. But it's a wide worldwide game people are playing called Among Us. And this McNugget looks just like it. So it was on eBay. And the person that sold it on eBay thought it would go for maybe $50. But they put it on eBay. And somehow it made it on some blog that Among Us fans go to. And they start bidding higher and higher. And at the time of our meeting, it was going for $50,000. It ended up selling for $100,000, this one nugget. Now imagine, I have this nugget, I've paid $100,000 for it, and I invite you to lunch, and I present you this nugget, and you take some sweet and sour sauce, dip it, and bite off one of the legs, right? It's just gone. And you end up eating the rest of it, and you're like, yeah, it's kind of stale, but thanks for the, thanks for the quick snack. And it's over, $100,000, just like that, just gone. And so we see this idea, and it seems crazy, right? What, why would anyone pay that much for ice cream that's going to milk? Why would anyone pay that, milk that, what, why would anyone pay that much that, that is going to be for a nugget that either you eat and it's gone, or you, I don't know, put it on a, in a frame? I don't know what you would do with that. But this, this concept that it's just this year's salary gone in an instant. We see this, this same story here in Mark chapter 14. 
If you've been traveling along with us in Mark, we've, we've made it through uh, 13 chapters, and in those 13 chapters, we've covered three years of Jesus' life. We've seen him do miracles, do teaching. We've seen him now in the last week of his life and in opposition with the religious leaders in the temple, and now we make it to chapter 14, and we're going to see this beautiful act of extravagant love. This moment where this lady comes and she just bestows this love on Jesus. That she takes what was equivalent of a year's salary and just pours it upon him. Out of love. Out of passion for Jesus. Out of this desire to be close to him. To show him how much she loves him. How much she appreciates him. How much she appreciates that he is her savior. He is her Messiah. And she pours this on him. And in a moment... A year's salary is gone, but it'll be forever remembered. So if you have your Bibles, open it to Mark chapter 14, or if you have your journals, we'll have it up on the screen as well. And Mark begins this chapter by giving us the, the background. We're going to see this beautiful picture inside this dinner, but he lets us know what's going on outside the dinner. What's going on outside this home, and, and, and you can just kind of picture that you go outside the home, go through the door, and, and down the street, you leave the crowds behind, and, and, and you go, and you turn down another street, and Jerusalem is bustling, all the pilgrims are here for Passover, it says the population grew three times during the week of Passover, so there's people, pilgrims on every street, in the shops, and, and so you have to turn down a, a, what seems like a dark alley to find somewhere secluded, and as you're walking, you see, come upon this group of people in religious robes in a little private secretive meeting. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Mark paints this picture that we're about to see this extravagant act of love that this woman has. And then on the flip side, down the street and around a corner are the religious leaders. Those that are supposed to be guiding us closer to God. Those are, that are supposed to be leading the people of, of the Lord are scheming to find ways to kill the Messiah. And I love that verse even. It says, but we're not going to do it during the festival. We'll wait till after. And it points out again. This was God's plan all along, because God has Jesus die as the Passover lamb. Had this been in the hands of the chief priests, had it been in the hands of the religious leaders, they would have done it after, they would have done it on their timetable, but this is God's timetable, that Jesus would come for this purpose, to die as the unblemished lamb for the sins of mankind, for you and for me, and we're reminded of that even again in this verse. This wasn't the plans of the Pharisees. This was the plan of God. And so we see this background, Mark lays this out, and then we transition into this beautiful story. Mark chapter three or 14, verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Mark doesn't give us the name of the woman, but, but John does. In John's gospel, we know that this is Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Well, another time that we see Mary, to kind of give you a glimpse of who Mary is, a glimpse of her heart, we see her that Jesus has come and he's eating at her home. 
And her and her sister are supposed to be hosting this. And Martha is working hard, diligently in the kitchen. She's prepping food. She's preparing. She's serving everyone there. She's laying out the, the banquet table. She's caring for people. She's refilling water. She's doing all that she's supposed to do. And she looks over, and there's Mary just sitting, just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his every word, paying attention to every detail of every story, holding on to every moment that he shares about what the kingdom of God would be like. Martha says, Mary, you're supposed to be helping me. And Jesus tells her to back off. Mary's heart is in the right spot. She's here for me. So this is the woman that we're about to see. This Mary that that is passionate about Jesus, and Mary that loves him extravagantly. And so she comes and she brings this jar of pure nard. And this jar we're going to see is worth a year's salary, something that a common woman wouldn't have had. So many believe this jar would have been a family heirloom. This is oil that has been passed down from her mother and her grandmother and her grandmother's grandmother. That for the years they've been passing down this oil and the wealth, the value of it has increased as, as nard is hard to get. It comes from the high hills of India. And so this time where perfume is a special thing, where water is scarce, scarce baths are even more so, perfume is a special, important aspect. And so they have this perfume that's been passed down from woman to woman to woman throughout this family line. And Mary has it. On special occasions, perhaps at the Passover dinner or at the birth of a child, perhaps at a funeral or, or when great family gatherings, the women of this line would go to this bottle and open the cork, pour out a drop or two. They'd put it on their wrist and behind their ear to smell of the pure nard, but only on special occasions. Only on the specialist of time, maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, would you get a drop or two out of this family bottle of perfume. And it's time to go to dinner, to Simon's house. It's there in Bethany. This is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And they're going to Simon's house. And, and Mary and Martha are getting ready. And, and you know Martha, she's trying to do everything she can. Perhaps she's baking a pie to be able to take with her. And she get, hollers out to Mary, Mary, you ready? Mary says, hold on one second. She goes into the family cabinet. She gets down low and she sees the family heirlooms, the, the, the special prayer cloth from grandpa before he passed, uh, perhaps a special plate. And there in the back is the bottle of perfume and she pulls it. She says, Martha, I'm ready. And they head to Simon's house. And during this dinner, it would be a great cultural uh, faux pas. It would, be, it would be rude and inappropriate for a woman to come upon, uh, talk to a man, to, to interrupt him during a meal, but she doesn't care. Perhaps maybe she was even waiting to do this at the end, but she's just so driven by her passion, so driven by her love for the Lord, she says, I can't wait another minute. I got to go do this now. And so she interrupts the meal and she comes and it doesn't even say what, that she said anything. And I just picture that she comes before the Lord and she's holding this bottle. And he can see in her eyes, the tears in her eyes. He just nods approvingly. And he backs up from the table and allows her to anoint his forehead. This idea of anointing was a, in Israel is what you would do for priests and kings to say that God's, God's power is bestowed on them. 
And so this is what Mary is doing. She, she's going to take the oil, but I love she doesn't just open the cork and pour out a drop like every generation before her has on the specialist of occasions. She breaks the top of the bottle open because she just wants it to pour freely. Once that bottle is broken, there's no turning back. You can't save the nard that's left. And she knows that and she doesn't plan on saving it. She plans on pouring it all out on Jesus. And so she anoints him and pours the oil on his head. And John says that the oil is on her feet, on his feet. That you can just picture it pouring down and it's covering the ground, it's covering his feet. And she does another social faux pas. She lets down her hair. She begins to wipe his feet clean with the oil in her hair. I picture tears are dripping on Jesus' feet as well. She's just passionately loving her Lord and Savior. That this is the greatest thing that she owns, the greatest thing her family owns, and she is just going to pour this on Jesus. She's going to love him that passionately, that extravagantly. And as I look at the story, it hits me. Have I ever loved Jesus like that? Have you? Would you say that, I've, that you've loved Jesus so extravagantly that you want to be around him so much that you would give the greatest thing that your family has? Or perhaps you would, would give him a year's salary just in an instant to love on him, that you're just so driven, so consumed with care for the Savior that died for your sins that you just want to love him in that way. This is what Mary's done. And so in the midst of a crowd, she doesn't care what they're thinking. She doesn't care that she's socially not supposed to be there interrupting a meal. She doesn't care that she's not supposed to have her hair down. She doesn't care the whispers and the comments that are going on. All she cares about is her relationship with Jesus Christ at this moment. And it says that, that the people there begin to complain. Verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. This idea of rebuking her harshly, that's an understatement. That they came at her. They were criticizing her. They're yelling at her. Perhaps they were trying to physically intimidate her, get her up off the ground, away from Jesus. This is something we would expect from the religious leaders, right? From the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Herodians, questioning, why would you love Jesus like this? He's just a man. This dinner is a private dinner at Simon the leper's house. The people here are his disciples, are his followers, are those that have been traveling with him. The people here are the Christians, the ones that believe he's the Messiah, and yet they rebuke her for loving him extravagantly. And you see this illustration, and you think, why would they do that? But then you look around, and we do the same every day, right? We have no problems with being a, a moderate Christian, right? That we say we, we're followers of Christ, but, but then we, our house is full of things and material possessions. That we say we're followers of Christ, but, but we're quick to go on that fancy, expensive vacation. We're, we say we're followers of Christ, but, but we're not really willing to just give, out, give our all. But then when people are... We say, what a fool that he would pass up this good paying job to go work at a nonprofit. What is she thinking going on the mission field? What are they thinking taking in that kid in their home? What a fool. Why would they do that? Why would they live this way? 
And really, they're not just judging her, but they're putting a value on Jesus. Is he not worth this bottle of oil? Is he not worth giving up that salary and going and working for a nonprofit? Is he not worth missing out on that vacation and taking your family on a mission trip? Is he not worth this? And so as Christians, we'll be quickly to, to, to complain or to judge or, or maybe to even say, hey, they're extreme, they're, they're Jesus freaks, and, and we criticize them and say, you need to bring balance in your life. Mary didn't have balance. She had passion. She had love for Jesus. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For Mary, she's trying to please God. She doesn't care about the people in the room. Could that be said the same for us? Are we more concerned with loving Jesus extravagantly? Or are we concerned about what other people are thinking? Are we willing to stand up for him at our workplace or at our school? Willing to, to, to pray over a meal at a restaurant? Or are we worried what others would think? Those small acts of love for God, oftentimes we're not even willing to do those. But here's Mary's view. We have this idea uh, as people, this fear of missing out, right? Of missing out of, of that, what we might miss into the future. And so the, the, the business industry thrives on that, right? They have a sale and it ends Saturday. And I sit here and think, oh, this is the last chance that I'll ever get that price on it. And so I go and, and, I, get, and I go and purchase this $25,000 Sunday because it's 10% discounted. I saved 2,500 bucks. What a deal. And so I'll go and, and we go and do this because Saturday after Saturday, well, that deal will not be around anymore. We go and get all the toilet paper we can because we don't know what the future holds. Is there going to be any toilet paper at the, at the end of this pandemic? And so we hoard it up. Right? We have this idea of fear of missing out. It's almost how Mary was coming. That she was so passionate that there was this moment that she had Jesus and she wanted to passionately love on him because he's going to be gone. And she would be missing out and she wanted to take advantage of that moment. Do we have that passion for Jesus? That love for God that, that we want to do whatever it takes to go and spend a moment with Jesus? Instead, often the day will go by, and before you know it, it's nighttime, and we haven't read our Bible, haven't hardly prayed except for the habit before prayer, and the next day starts, and the next day. Instead of having this passion that we would miss out on a moment with Jesus today, that we'd miss out that we see our Bible and we just walk on instead of thinking, what does God have to say to me today? What if I miss out on that? What if we had that view as we looked at this, this view that Mary has, that this is my moment with Jesus. Let me not miss out on this. And so the people, the, the Christians are in the room complaining about her, threatening her, trying to get her to stand up. And, and Jesus comes to her defense and says, verse 6 says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And the room gets silent. And they realize they shouldn't be complaining. And Jesus goes on and says, The poor you will have with, always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. 
She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. You'd pour oil uh, on, a pre, on a king or a prophet to bestow the, the empowerment of God, but usually it was just a drop or two that you would put on them. But for a body, that's when you might use the whole bottle. You probably wouldn't use the most expensive bottle, but you would use a bottle and a lot of spices and wrapping to prepare the body for burial. Was this what Mary's plan was all along? I don't know. Mary's been sitting at his feet. Mary's been listening. Maybe it was Mary was picking up every time Jesus has given us hints that his death is coming, and Mary knows that, and she's listening, and she's coming and preparing his body. Whether that was Mary's intentions or not, Jesus sees this. Because in 24 hours, he's going to be led away. He's going to die on a cross. And his body is being prepared with this anointment of oil. And he goes on to tell the crowd, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is a neat verse because it's Jesus predicting the future. At the time of this, Mark was not written. John, Matthew, Luke was not written. But Jesus knows it will be. These stories will continue on. They're, they will be shared. They will be preached. They will be preached from a stage or told underneath a mango tree in a tribe in Africa. They'll be taught in the slums of Calcutta or in a grand cathedral in France. These stories will be repeated and told. And every time they're told, people will be reminded of this extravagant love. Hopefully every time they're told, people will be challenged by what Mary has done right now. That Mary sees this moment is the moment to love me because I am here. And that people will be inspired to love me for I am with them. For all of time, people will come to this and remember what Mary did at this moment. That she loved with everything. And so Mark, as he often does, has this little sandwich he started out the story of telling us if we go outside the house, down the road, around the aisle, alley, and we see the priests and the chief lawmakers plotting against Jesus. The religious leaders. And then you have Mary, this woman passionately willing to extravagantly love Jesus. And then Mark finishes the sandwich to bring us back to remind her this moment here in the house is beautiful, but out there in the real world, they're out to get me. So Mark shares, closes, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We'll see later on in scripture that, that Judas betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Exodus 21 says this is the price for a slave that's accidentally gored to death by an ox. This is the value that Judas places on the Messiah. This is the value the chief priests have for their number one enemy is just 30 pieces of silver. Four months' salary is 30 pieces of silver. Judas is willing to turn him over for just four months, and here's Mary loving with a year's worth. Look at the difference in these two examples. As we see this story and we look at it, we're faced with the question as we look at any scripture, uh, what's this mean in our lives? Perhaps are we more like Mary or more like Judas? 
And obviously, all of us want to say, Mary, right? No one wants to say, yeah, I'm like Judas. Obviously, no one wants that, but, but if you look at it, Mary loved extravagantly. When was the last time you loved anyone extravagantly, let alone Jesus? When was the last time you gave Jesus your very best, not just the leftovers, not just what we, we and I don't mean this you, I mean this me too, that we, we give him the leftovers of our time, of our resources, of our ideas, of our passion. We give him the leftover instead of going and breaking the bottle and giving him our all. We often struggle to give him the best. We often struggle to love him extravagantly. And that doesn't just have to be um, about money. This isn't about a year's salary spending it all on Jesus. It's living extravagantly means to give your best. Mary goes into her house. Martha says, are you ready? And she's thinking, what can I do for Jesus that would be the greatest example of my love for the Savior, for the Messiah, for the one that uh, is coming and will die for my sins? And she grabs the oil. Because this is the greatest example of love for her in her life. What would be the greatest example of love for Jesus in our life? Perhaps that's a, a, something that costs us monetarily. Perhaps it is a, a, something of monetary value. But perhaps it's your time. What if we just said, hey, I'm not giving Jesus anything. I'm going to start giving him 10 minutes every morning. That might not sound like much, but that might be what we can give and love him. And that'll grow to 11 minutes and 12 minutes and 13 minutes. And we'll be loving him extravagantly. Perhaps it's, you know what? We always go on that vacation. And we love that place, that, that cabin we get every year on the beach. But, but next summer, next summer I'm saving money every month. And next summer we're taking a family missions trip. And I know it sounds crazy, and I know people think we're nuts, and, and we might miss out on, on that timeshare, but, but we're going, and we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we're going to love him in that way. Perhaps loving him, giving him, would look like letting go of something for some of us. Letting go of guilt and pain, that which is getting in the way of our walk with Jesus. Perhaps loving him extravagantly is letting go and seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us. Perhaps letting go is letting go of that which is gripping on to us so tight that we can't get to Jesus because we're gripped by an addiction, by pornography, by alcohol, by gossip, by a desire for material things. Perhaps we're so gripped and so caught up in this impure relationship that we know we shouldn't be in and we continue on in that path. Instead of loving Jesus extravagantly, how would you love Jesus? How would I love Jesus? As we see this story, and there's one more aspect to this idea of love, is what we see in Jesus that Mary comes to him and he allows her to place the oil. He receives her love. Perhaps for some of you, that's the biggest struggle is receiving love. I don't know your past and the hurt and the pain you're carrying, but for some people in here, this is the biggest challenge of this story would, would be receiving love. It's easy for me to love others, but, but for them to care for me, I'm not comfortable with that. 
perhaps in this story, that's where we need to see. Because who is hosting this meal? If you go back to the beginning of the passage, it's being held at the home of Simon the leper. Now, in this time, Simon would not have had leprosy and hosted a meal. No one would have gotten in that meal. So he had to have been healed at some point, perhaps by Jesus. Perhaps one time when Jesus came through Bethany, he healed Simon, and that's why this relationship started. And Simon's saying, hey, you're back in town. Let me take care for you. You cared for me. Let me love you. And he wants to throw this giant banquet and care in Jesus' honor because Jesus is the one that healed him. And he's now healed, and his skin is clean, and he is so excited about this, and he's invited everyone. And what do they call him? Simon the leper. That's how other people see him. They see his deformity. They see his background. They see his past. Some of you, that hits home. That people just see my mistakes. People see my pain. People see the errors of my ways. Perhaps that's all you see is the mistakes, the pain. And Jesus came and had dinner. Jesus just sees Simon. Jesus loves him. And Simon accepted that love and hosted Jesus. Jesus sees you. He doesn't see the baggage you bring. He doesn't see the pain. He doesn't see the mistakes. He sees you and he loves you. And so as we come into the end of the story, this idea of extravagant love, of Jesus extravagantly loving Simon and coming into his home while other people see him as the leper, Jesus sees him as Simon and he wants to be with him. How are we going to love Jesus? Mary had this bottle with her love, her extravagant love inside. And, and so we wanted to give that to you this morning. And so you're going to receive, it's going to be passed around a, a tray with pieces of paper and bottles. And, and if you guys want to start passing those out, if you'll grab a piece of paper and grab a bottle, each one of you. And on that piece of paper, we're going to take a few minutes. And Jesse's just going to play some background music. And, and I want to encourage you. This is between you and the Lord. If you need to cover it up so no one can see what you're writing, the person sitting next to you, that's fine. But what would you write on this paper to represent how you could love Jesus? And not just love him, but love him extravagantly. What would that look like? What would it look like for you to love him? Perhaps that is, to, uh, next summer I'm going on a mission trip. Perhaps as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, rather, whatever that form of giving, I, it doesn't have to be discovery. And perhaps as I'm going to go get a compassion child and I'm going to change a life. Perhaps it's I'm going to give in a different way. Perhaps it's time. How could you love extravagantly with your time and devotion to God? God, I'm giving you the beginning of my day. I'm closing out my day with you every day this week. God, I'm going to, perhaps what would love, loving him extravagantly look like? Letting go. God, it's going to be a struggle, but this week, I'm not going to drink. This week, I'm not looking at anything on the computer. This week, I'm taking steps and getting in the right relationships that I need. What would it look like for you to love God extravagantly? Perhaps today, perhaps this week. 
Perhaps something you're writing on here is a year ago. I don't know. But I do know Mary came and she gave her best. And we so often give our rest. What would it look like for you to love extravagantly and give your best to him? And when you've done that, when you've written this down, just roll that sheet of paper up and put it in your bottle. Mary had this bottle of oil. She had this bottle that contained her best, the best she had to offer. This is what you have. What could you give to Jesus? What would it look like to give him your best, to love him with full passion, to love him extravagantly? We're just going to take a minute to write that, put it in your bottle. Then I'm going to come back and lead us into communion. greatest example of extravagant love I can think of is, is not perhaps what you wrote. I, I hope it's your greatest extravagant love that you could give to Jesus. And it's not uh, Mary and her bottle of perfume that she's willing to pour out for the Lord. It was what Jesus did on the cross. We're going to have communion up here on the tables. If, if you guys with the people with communion would go ahead and bring those up. This represents the greatest extravagant act of love I could think of. Is Jesus going on the cross and being willing to die for you and for me? That he loved us that much he's willing to take our sins on the cross. That he died for Mary and he died for Simon and he died for Judas and he died for you and for me. This is the greatest example of love, of extravagant love. And so communion is an opportunity to remember that every week. And so this morning we're going to have communion and I'm going to invite you to come up and grab communion, but we're going to do it a little different. In your hand, you have a bottle, just as Mary did. And my favorite part about that story is in verse 3, right at the beginning. And it says that she had the bottle and she broke it open and poured it on him. She didn't bother just taking off the cork and drop after drop on Jesus' head. No, she smashed the top of the bottle because she knew there's no going back. I'm giving Jesus my all. I'm going to love him extravagantly here, and it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what others say. 
I'm going to love him extravagantly. And little did she know it would be remembered for generations and centuries later. That she would love him with all she had. So she breaks the bottle open to fully love him. And so this morning, in a way to represent that, you have this bottle of how are you going to love Jesus extravagantly? I hope you wrote something meaningful, something powerful to you. And this morning, I invite you to come up and break your bottle in an effort to just symbolize smashing this at the foot of Jesus and saying, I'm giving you everything and there's no turning back. And so you're going to come and smash your bottle. And then you come over here and grab communion. There's this beautiful song that the worship band's going to sing and, and play over us as we take communion. And the song bounces the love that we have, that we want to love Jesus with all we got, to love him extravagantly, and because he first loved us. So take that communion back to your seat. Just spend a moment with the Lord, reflecting on your extravagant love. What does this look like that you are going to do to give up, to give. And look at what Jesus already gave up for us. He gave up his breath. He gave up his life. And he conquered death. So there's no hurry. The song, several minutes. Go whenever you feel led. Not when your row goes, not when the person sitting next to you goes, but, but when you feel ready to come and, and break your bottle live and love passionately for God to go and take communion and remember he was willing to live and love passionately us